Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Big Football Show. I am Mitch Sherman. Scott Docterman is with me. This is episode three in our debut week of the podcast. Thank you for joining us. If you're listening on the Athletic app, that's great. You can also find the show on Apple and Spotify. Scott and I will be here every Wednesday. I am coming to you from eastern Nebraska. Scott from eastern Iowa. We cover Nebraska and Iowa in the Big Ten, so Wednesdays on the Big Football Show are like a little taste of Black Friday, Scott. Uh, it's good to uh, good to team up with you on this. Yeah, Mitch, I'm glad to be with you, and uh, I'm glad we're back on Black Friday for the tenth straight year. That's uh, that's going to be great for Iowa and Nebraska. But uh, for this first episode of ours, we want to take a swing around the Big Ten West. If you listened on Tuesday, you heard Bill Landis, who covers Ohio State, and Audrey Snyder, who covers Penn State, do the same for the East Division. They talked a little Wawa and about the pizza and Biscataway. I think in the West, we could do much better. Clearly, we can. We've got Chicago. We've got Wisconsin beer. We've got New Glarus. we got Runza. And we Absolutely. Got Wigan, and we got Wigan Penn Pizza in Iowa City. So hit us up on Twitter. You let us know what you want us to discuss off the field as we go through the division. It's a little bit different this year, no doubt about it, but uh, we're, we'll start talking about football. And there was some big news on, on uh, Tuesday night, Mitch, and why don't you kind of fill everybody in? Yeah, this affects uh, both of the teams that we cover and really every team in the East. Journey Brown, the t- top, uh, one of the top running backs in the league out of Penn State, ran for almost 900 yards last year, was expected for this to be his last year in in uh, state college before he headed off to the NFL, in fact, he he considered uh, even even bypassing this year, opting out of this year. Well, the the news came out um, early this week that uh, he's got a, a medical condition and, and uh, his status is very much in doubt for this season. So, um, Penn State travels to uh, to Lincoln in mid November, and uh, the Hawks are headed to uh, to Happy Valley shortly thereafter. So we'll see in in games that we cover if uh, if the absence of a playmaker on one of the favorites in the Big Ten East uh, actually ends up impacting the race in the Big Ten West. Yeah, I like Noah Kane. Uh, I saw him last year up close, and he did a nice job for the Nittany Lions. So I think. You know, Journey Brown's a heck of a loss, but I think they're in decent hands there. Um, you know, Ricky Slade transferred <laughs> after the Cotton Bowl, so so they're down from their foursome to their their now it's a duo. But I do think Penn State's still in pretty good shape. Uh, they play Indiana to start the season, which actually is a sneaky good game, uh, despite Penn State usually kind of dominating that series. Right, right. So what we want to do uh, here on this on this Wednesday and 
and something similar as we go forward is just get into to previewing some of these games. Um, you know, look for a, a thing or two to watch in these um, in this first set of games that we have Friday night and, and then all day on Saturday. And first game up in the West Division, first game up in the Big Ten this season is uh, is Illinois Wisconsin on Friday night, and it's it's a uh, a rematch, Scott of. Um, Maybe the most surprising result in the league a year ago when when uh, the Badgers went into Champaign and were beaten by uh, Lovey Smith and, and the Illini, that it actually propelled Illinois to, to bowl eligibility last year. So Wisconsin's got... Uh, you know, got some got some questions after the the preseason injury here to to Jack Cohn. We're going to see the debut of redshirt freshman Graham Mertz, who is the most highly rated uh, quarterback recruit in the history of the Badgers program. But um, what are you expecting uh, Friday night in the uh, in the Big Ten opener? Yeah, this is a real interesting matchup. I mean, as you mentioned last year, that was a that was borderline shocking loss. I don't get shocked very often, but I, I was pretty I was pretty surprised by that one. Just because other teams either can hang with Wisconsin over the years, and Northwestern tends to do that, or Purdue has a different style that makes them difficult. Illinois um, just capitalized on on every mistake that Wisconsin made, and and that kind of propelled them, as you said, you know, to having a a pretty decent year, especially by Illinois standards. Um, but this is, you know, the contrasts are, are rich here. I mean, you look at Wisconsin last year, they led the country in time of possession, uh, ninth and third down uh, percentage on offense. They were first on defense and third down percentage, second in sacks. Uh, but they had a lot of key losses. And I think that's what's going to be fascinating to me is how do they compensate for not having Jonathan Taylor in in a uh, decade where the Big Ten's running backs, I'll match him up with anybody I've ever seen. Um, Absolutely. You know, going, going back the last 10 years, Jonathan Taylor was after Saquon Barkley, and you know he's right in that conversation. Um, and then Quintess Cephas was a real uh, game-breaker late in the year. Tyler Biotich was a tremendous center. Um, and then Jack Cohen's out. Um, and then on defense, you know, losing guys like Chris Orr and Zach Bond, um, you know, they, they tend to reload, but you can't do that all the time. So I'm really fascinated by how they reload. How does Wisconsin compensate for those losses? I'm just mainly interested on Friday night, and that's a BTN game, 7 o'clock kickoff Central Time uh, at Camp Randall. I'm interested uh, when the fourth quarter begins, Scott. Um, are they going to do the jump around with like 800 people in the in the stadium? And <laughs> how intimidating is that going to be for uh, for Illinois? Really, uh, it's going to be interesting. You know, I make light of this, and obviously we're we're about to begin just a bizarre year in the Big Ten, and I will be in in, uh, in Columbus um, without 100,000 people at the Horseshoe on on Saturday afternoon. Um, it was interesting to hear some of the Nebraska players talk this week about playing in an empty stadium. In Lincoln this preseason, they have been practicing more at Memorial Stadium than in any preseason that that I can remember. Certainly since they've had outdoor fields or an indoor practice facility, this is the most they've gone in the stadium to practice because they wanted to have their players work in front of an empty stadium. As strange as that sounds, you, you can, I guess, get used to playing in front of an empty stadium. And that's uh, the first for the first time in the Big Ten. Uh, we're going to see that on Friday night. There will be no crazy, raucous jump around as the fourth quarter starts at Camp Randall. 
Well, I guess that preserves the press box for one more year because <laughs> I can't tell you how many years where I felt like I'm going to go fall forward uh, with the jump around. But uh, now it, it's it is interesting to see how that's going to happen because Camp Randall and Memorial Stadium and, and Lincoln are similar in that that they're big, gigantic old stadiums and uh, you know a lot of red, and so <laughs> you just it's going to be strange just to look out at all of these venues and not see anybody except for a couple of parents scattered. Uh, and they look like toothpicks out there on, right. the, on the bleachers. But right. um, when it look, the Illini fascinate me in a lot of ways because last year the numbers suggest that they should have been about a three and nine team. Mm-hmm. Yet they were incredible when it came to taking care of taking uh, getting turnovers, and they were as physical as any team I saw a year, just hitting wise. But they don't have uh, Delhi Harding anymore and he was the league's leader in tackles uh but jake hansen is just uh you know (laughs) i think he had eight takeaways last year as as a and most of them were forced fumbles so i'm really interested to see how brandon peters puts everything together for the for the alliance i they've got a great wide receiver and i'll I'll blow his last name out so we'll call him josh he's a transfer (laughs) from usc (laughs) <laughs> his name's too long and I can't pronounce it. And they do have a very experienced offensive line. that has got some pretty good players, but I don't know how they match up with Wisconsin. I mean, last year, again, I think they kind of, they were fortunate to win that game. I'm not sure that uh, everything matches up quite as nicely for the fighting line. I this year. Right. It starts with an I, his last name, the, the receiver yes. for, for, uh, for Illinois. We'll, we'll go yeah. with that. So game two on the docket in the West Division involving a West Division team uh, this weekend is the big noon Saturday game on Fox, uh, 11 a.m. kickoff Central Time from Columbus, Ohio, previously mentioned Nebraska at Ohio State. And the Huskers go to Columbus as a four-touchdown underdog. So this is, um, you know, an interesting if you ask Scott Frost, un- non-coincidental pairing in uh, in the opening opening weekend to ha- send the Huskers to o- Ohio State, uh, the far and away the, the the runaway favorite in the Big Ten this year, um, as a result of of um, a lot of the talking that Nebraska did back in August related to the the shutdown of Big Ten football. But you know, my take on this, and this was this was from September 16th on, um, actually before September 16th, because if you asked me on September 14th or September 15th before the Big Ten schedule was announced, I, I would have said, well, I expect that Nebraska is going to open at Ohio State whenever the <laughs> whenever the league resumes play. If they don't resume play until 2024, Nebraska's going to Ohio State to play that first game, no matter what. Um, and, and and here we are. Um, but I say, hey, get the Buckeyes while they're, uh, you know, before they're before they're in midseason form. You know, maybe they'll be in midseason form. It's October 24th. But um, this is a Nebraska team that has a lot of room to grow, um, a, a lot of need to grow on the defensive side. Um, and then an offense that that should be the strength of the team. Five starters return on the offensive line. They've juggled some things around. Um, we'll have a new starter at right tackle this year in Bryce Benhard as, as Matt Farniak moves inside to, to guard, um, which is a better spot for him. Um, if you saw the Ohio State game last year, or if you saw the Iowa game last year, you would know that uh, um, the inside of the line is probably a better spot for Matt Farniak, who was, uh, who was beaten by Chase Young. Um, everyone was beaten by Chase Young, but Matt Farniak for Nebraska was beaten by Chase Young seemingly every play in that, uh, in that game in Lincoln last year. So Nebraska is going to try to make this close. Nebraska is going to try to, uh, try to 
muck this thing up a bit on the defensive side to get some stops in the red zone, maybe create some turnovers. Um, of course, be opportunistic with Adrian Martinez, who uh, was named Monday as the, as the starting quarterback for the third straight year in Lincoln, and uh, see if they can hang around. Um, you know, I don't expect that uh, the Huskers will hang around into the second half, but uh, you know, if they do, uh, maybe we get something similar to 2018 when Martinez, as a freshman, went in there and nearly knocked off the uh, the Buckeyes, who it's worth mentioning were struggling at that moment after a loss on the road to Purdue. No such luck for Nebraska in the momentum category this time around. Yeah, I guess uh, one good thing is there won't be 105,000 people chanting, you know, Seven Nation Army uh, <laughs> lyrics and. Uh, but uh, I guess the, to me for Nebraska, the key is, can you keep the ball away from Ohio State? Can you sustain drives? Even, you know, you want to score and you need to score, but you need to get five-minute drives at least just to keep it away from them. Because as we've seen, I think a lot of these cases with Nebraska and Ohio State is it's close for a second and then bam, you know, uh, yeah. they turn on the afterburners and then it's 28-7 to seven and then you're, okay, they, this game's over with. Uh, you know, and I think Nebraska is capable of putting points up on Ohio State, especially early. Only four returning starters uh, for the Buckeyes on that side of the ball. And, and you know, Sean Wade opted back in and he's terrific, obviously, and Jonathan Cooper and tough Borland. But, uh, you know, they they are inexperienced there and, and Nebraska does have experience and Nebraska has good playmakers, uh, whether it's Adrian Martinez or Wandale Robinson and, and some offensive linemen, as you mentioned. So I think in Nebraska's case, if they can sustain drives, score, um, you know, one way or the other, and then, you know, force a turnover or two, you might get into that halftime where it's it's a one score game. And maybe things change a little bit because, again, you won't have that atmosphere that usually, you know, I always call it the Death Star, you know, in Ohio State. So and you won't have that Death Star atmosphere. And then there's a chance that, you know, things could happen in the second half. Right. They go into Death Star mode and just just blow blow programs straight out of the sky. And, and that's <laughs> that's the end. But uh, uh, new defensive coordinator for the Buckeyes this year and Kerry Coombs. Um, perhaps a, a, a different scheme, or well, there will be a different scheme, and Nebraska will be glad to see Jeffrey Okuda gone from the secondary. Uh, he of uh, picking off passes while laying on his back on the turf in, at Memorial <laughs> Stadium last year, uh, a, a memory that Nebraska uh, has has wanted to forget. So um, let's move to that 2.30 central window, um, and we've got Iowa uh, headed to Purdue. Um, I'm going to let you break this one down, but just to, uh, to get us started, an interesting storyline, the most interesting storyline probably that has developed in the Big Ten this week, Purdue will be without Jeff Brom, its head coach, who has uh, tested positive for COVID-19 and is going to miss this game um, at a minimum. What uh, have you learned this week in in uh, your work heading into this game, and what do you think of uh, of this matchup? Yeah, I guess first with Jeff Brom, that's just a real challenge for Purdue, obviously, because you know one of the things I've noticed about him over the years, the three years that he'd been there at Purdue is is not only his aggressiveness as a play caller, but his willingness to attack repeatedly. Um, I remember, I think it was the first matchup against Iowa in 2017, um, he came out of the second half and attacked the same cornerback eight straight times and uh, produced two touchdowns. Iowa replaced the, you know, first it was Manny Rugamba, who's a very good cornerback, 
and later transferred. Michael Ojemudia, who's starting now for the Denver Broncos, he got benched. And finally, they threw in Matt Hankins uh, because he uh, it, he was a true freshman, but it, it, they just kept attacking the same corner. In fact, uh, they've thrown for nine passes of 25-plus yards against the Hawkeyes, which is about 17% of what they've allowed over the last three years. So uh, Purdue is willing to do that. And then, so not having Jeff Brom, he's got that feel. I'm not saying that Brian Brom, his brother and the offensive coordinator who will be the acting head coach, doesn't have those same capabilities, but I think it just shows the immense respect that everybody here at least has uh, for what Jeff Brom and how he can call a game. Uh, right. He, just, know, he has a special, he has a special kind of touch and, you know, I've seen it in the couple games that I've covered uh, between with the matchups between him and Scott Frost over the last two years. And, and Brom has outcoached Frost uh, two years in a row uh, in Lincoln two years ago. And, the, and then last year he was down three quarterbacks at one point in that game in West Lafayette. Purdue was, was in the tank with, with where its season was going and, and uh, they were able to come out a winner. So ton of respect for, for Jeff Brom and, and hope that he, uh, he gets back quickly. Yeah, and uh, you know, and, and I think th- this is this, uh, when it comes to Purdue's offense against Iowa's defense. This is where styles make fights, styles make matchups. And when you look at what Purdue has at wide receiver, uh, I haven't seen a, a tandem like this in, in the Big Ten in a long time, if ever. Um, you know, in uh, Rondale Moore and David Bell, you know, Moore is going to be a first rounder when he comes out. Set the league record for catches a couple years ago was out last year, uh, opts back in to play this year. And then you look at David Bell last year, he caught, you know, had 200 yards against Iowa through the air. Uh, a guy Iowa really, really wanted to, uh, but he ended up going to Purdue. And, but it's a, it's a question of who's going to be the trigger man. Uh, you know, Jack Plummer seems to be the guy he was last year, but uh, Brom wants to take it all the way up until kickoff to decide who's going to be their quarterback. And on the other side of the ball, you know, with George Karloftis at, at defensive end, he reminds me a lot of Ryan Kerrigan, which is, uh, you know, saying a lot because Kerrigan was a beast for the Boilermakers 10 years ago. Uh, but, you know, Iowa defensively, they're going to be without some linebackers. Uh, they're going to be have to play at probably a dime coverage anyway. I mean, they would. It would be, make more sense to do it anyway, but they're going to be in a dime coverage uh, facing the Boilermakers more out of positional necessity, which is strange because they're at, they're down to they've probably lost three to four linebackers the last few days. You want to give us an over under on uh, passing yards for Spencer Petrus in his first uh, first game uh, as a starter for the Hawkeyes? Yeah, I'll go three fifteen. I okay. think that this is a, a potent Iowa offense, and I haven't said that in about ten years, but it's true. Uh, they've got four wide receivers who are as good as any they've had since Marvin McNutt. Uh, they've got a, a running game that's got potential to be pretty good. Uh, they returned four starters up front on the offensive line, and the fifth one was uh, Coy Cronk, who was a who started forty games for Indiana. Uh, he's now the right tackle. He was at left tackle for the for the uh, Hoosiers, and uh, and Petrus is. He's a different guy. I mean, you know, Nate Stanley was so serious all the time and uh, kind of quiet and to himself. Spencer Petrus is a guy's guy. I mean, he walks, you know, he walks in the huddle. It's like Disco Inferno's playing, you know. <laughs> so he just he's kind of got this swagger to him. Uh, Grateful Dead fan took a bunch huh. of uh, took a bunch of his teammates down to Nashville to go watch Tyler Childers, and I think it was February. 
So he's kind of like C.J. Beathard in that regard, but but uh, they they think the world of him. They really think highly of him, and and he's a guy. Iowa had its choice between him and Zach uh, uh, Zach Wilson, and and uh, and took and and took Spencer instead, and he broke all of Jared Goff's records at uh, Marin Catholic in San Rafael, California. So uh, they think a lot of him, and so here's his opportunity. So let's move on to the uh, to the evening games in the West. Uh, maybe the game of the week in the Big Ten. Maybe the game of the week in the country. College game day is uh, is going to the Twin Cities this weekend. Six thirty on ABC. Michigan at Minnesota. Um, this one's going to tell us a lot, I would say, about how the Big Ten looks on both sides of, of the divisions um, here here in Week One. So you got Joe Milton and, and Michigan. Um, and uh, a ton of talent, um, some great defensive players on uh, on that Michigan roster. A couple of the best defensive players in the league. Watch Aiden Hutchinson um, up front for the Wolverines to see what uh, what he can do to disrupt things um, on the Minnesota offense. Tanner Morgan, of course, uh, um, is if Justin Fields was not in the league, he would be the uh, the preseason offensive player of the year, and he may be that guy who's expected to do that kind of stuff in the West Division if you're not going with Rondale Moore. So lots of talent. Rashad Bateman is back for uh, for the Gophers after opting out. He's opted back in, so a great receiver. It was interesting to hear you, Scott, talk about um, how you had not seen a, a receiving combo like David Bell and Rondale Moore. I immediately thought of Minnesota last year or the last couple of years, but a uh, um, ton, of, ton of receiving talent in the Big Ten West in recent years, and, and um, Purdue and Minnesota have had some of some of the most. So the Gophers have have some of that back. Um, what do you think? Can uh, can Minnesota do what it did last year with College Game Day in town when it beat a beast to the East and do it again to Michigan? Uh, that's a great question. It's hard to say because uh, because I think Michigan might be. I think Michigan is as good or better than Minnesota. Honestly, I, I want to see Joe Milton because mm-hmm. we've seen all of these guys at Michigan uh, come in. And they've been hyped, you know, Shea Patterson and, and some of the others, um, the McCaffrey, Dylan McCaffrey. Uh, and yet Dylan, yes, fizzle. he's, a, they, he's they out at Michigan. Transfer. Yes. Right. Uh, Joe Milton's kind of an under the radar guy that now it's like, oh, yeah, OK, he's the guy. And and let's see what happens there. Uh, you know, the, losing a couple of receivers hurts them, I think. But when you look at the Gophers. You know, returning Tanner Morgan, he he played really well. Uh, you know, he's he runs the zone read as about as well as you can. Uh, they had a lot of good running backs last year. They have a few good this year. I think what sets the tempo for the Gophers is their offensive line. And as you mentioned, going against Michigan's defensive line, that's going to be the key right there because not only you know Quiddy Payne and Aiden Hutchinson are as good of a tandem as you'll find in the league. I would say Penn State's is right there with them. Uh, and then Rashad Bateman, uh, you know, a specimen, just an incredible pass catcher. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman were really good. I, I like Bell and Moore just a tad more. But uh, Kirk Ferentz reminded me today that, yeah, they also had to play against uh, Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry when they were at LSU. So <laughs> so there was that one. I was there was say, that was, tandem that was pretty good, yes. Yeah. Not, so in, the I was big, like, not in the Big Ten. Yeah. Right. Uh, slightly outside of the Big Ten. But. I, I think this is going to be a close game, a very competitive game. I think Minnesota can, if Minnesota can establish the line of scrimmage on offense, I think it has a good chance to win. If the run game gets stopped, I think uh, I think the, the Wolverines probably have better overall talent and will be able to kind of eke out a win on the road in uh, 
you know, a less than hostile TCF bank bank stadium. It will not be hostile on, uh, on Saturday night. Final game on the docket for us to discuss in the West this week, six thirty central BTN Maryland goes to Northwestern. We'll get to see the Northwestern debut of Peyton Ramsey, who started 23 games at Indiana. I saw Peyton Ramsey up close and personal last year at Memorial Stadium in Lincoln come in and win for the Hoosiers. And a, uh, a bit of a new look Maryland team. Will we see Taulia Tonga-Vailoa? I don't know. I, last I checked, he was in a, uh, a battle for the quarterback spot in, uh, in College Park. So maybe some intrigue there. With, uh, with what's happening at Maryland. I know they've got a great uh, freshman uh, receiver, Rakeem Jarrett, who we named uh, as the favorite to win freshman of the year in the Big Ten in our survey of national and, and school writers on The Athletic uh, today on Tuesday. If you haven't seen that, check it out for a, a preview of the entire league. But uh, Maryland at Northwestern, you know, Northwestern, for me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tease this next segment that we do real quick. They're my breakout team in the entire conference. So obviously they're my breakout team in the West too. Um, I think Northwestern handles Maryland in the opener, but uh, you know, with Maryland early in the season, you never know what you're going to get. It seems that Texas is not on the schedule this year for the Terps to uh, to uh, <laughs> knock up and down the field, but yeah. uh, they get Northwestern to open. So what happens? Uh, what happens in Evanston? That's a great question because I I initially had Northwestern as my team like that. Uh, I thought they were going to be that next. Uh, the, the way they typically are, that they kind of bounce back after having a rough year and and be a thorn in everybody's side and win some games they probably shouldn't and then have a good year. But then when you start to see the players that, that opted out for the, the Wildcats, that's where I get a little bit nervous trying to predict them and, and doing anything. And that's, you know, Rashawn Slater, you know, he's going to be an NFL player for a long time. He was a three-year starter. Uh, at left tackle, he was really good. But but then late last week, when you saw Sandup Miller and and uh, Travis Willock both leave, and they're both really good defenders, that's when I got a little nervous about the Wildcats. And I thought, well, I I actually I wrote it all out. They're going to be my team, my breakout team. And then I pulled it back and, and went with Purdue instead, just because. Uh, there's not a lot of guys that are coming back that have a lot of experience. I mean, Peyton Ramsey's a new guy. Um, I like him. I thought he was really good at Indiana, and if it wasn't for Penix, he'd probably still be there. And then Isaiah Bowser, a lot of people in Iowa will remember and cringe uh, on offense, you know, what he did on as a running back against the, the Hawkeyes. But then, of course, you know, Patty Fisher is probably the most famous uh Patty to play middle linebacker since Patty Fitzgerald <laughs> and, you know, 25 years ago. <laughs> it's like a but, recreation, uh, and even down to the initials and everything. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it sounds the same. So uh, he, he's the same type of player, which is tremendous. But I just, I don't know. You know, they have a, they have a freshman left tackle. Uh, there's a lot of questions I have about the Wildcats. Uh, but that said, I, I think a lot of people believe that, you know, and I'm among them, that Pat Fitzgerald is a tremendous coach gets a lot out of that team and a lot out of that program. And I, I wouldn't surprise me at all, you know, if, if they're able to handle Maryland, which probably has more talent, but Northwestern has always been a very well-coached team. Right. That's all right. You don't have to make a pick against the spread. If they come, if uh, our listeners come back on Friday, they can hear Ari Wasserman and Jesse Temple do that. So <laughs> um, before we finish, um, I do want to have a lightning round here where we're going to go through our West Division superlatives. So as I said, we did this in print. On Tuesday on the Athletic, so um, something similar here uh, for for the podcast. 
Um, quickly, let's go through offensive, defensive players of the year in the West. I'll give you mine. You give me yours. We'll move on to a couple more. Um, I'm going to go with the obvious choice and say Tanner Morgan in a slight, uh, slight, a, a split decision over Rondale Moore. And then Patty Fisher was my pick as as defensive player in the league. I think that was the only one in all of our our writers, national or school specific, to uh, to go with Patty Fisher. So, um, of course, he is my pick in the West as well. How about you? Yeah, I think with offensive uh, player of the year, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, Rondale Moore, and I, mm-hmm. I just think that he's you know after 114 catches two years ago, he's he's a guy that just he's so elusive, and even if you you he might not seem like he's got much of an impact, and then you're gonna look at his stat line and go, wow, he had seven catches for 80 yards, he just didn't make a highlight reel catch or, or play, and and so I'm gonna go with him in the West, although uh, Bateman Morgan. I think some Iowa guys, you know, and a few others have a chance to get in that category, including Adrian Martinez. As far mm-hmm. as defensive player of the year, <laughs> uh, man, I'm I'm gonna look like a you know a Purdue guy here, but I'm gonna go I'm going with George Karloftis, and you know, five star who stayed home in Lafayette. Uh, he was a handful for every offense last year. Seventeen tackles for loss as a true freshman. Seven and a half sacks and interception. I think he's just. Uh, I think he's special, and I think most people would say, "Hey, if you do, if you want to opt out next year, that'd be all right with them." So I think I know your freshman. Um, go ahead and tell us, but uh, I believe I read it uh, read it this morning. You <laughs> um, you picked uh, picked a quarterback. I did Graham Mertz. Uh, you know, I, I we've all heard so much about the guy, and you know, I figured he'd come in last year and beat out Jack Cohen, but it, it didn't happen. But now he has that opportunity. Who knows how long? Uh, before Cohen actually gets back. But, you know, with this, these kind of accolades, being from the Kansas City area, I, I really think uh, Graham Mertz is, is the guy to, you know, to, to do some good things for Wisconsin. And, and of course, it's kind of a tough year to project freshmen because usually you get a good month before you get a chance to see uh, what a freshman can do. Well, they're starting. <laughs> Everybody's starting the same this weekend. So uh, who's right. your freshman? I'm actually going to go with Elante Brown at Nebraska, a guy that I'm going to cover this year. Um, receiver, he was a high school quarterback in Chicago, played prep school a year ago on the East Coast, the, rated the number one prep school player in the country. Uh, came to Nebraska a bit under the radar as an early enrollee and, and was immediately a standout in those two spring practices that the Huskers had. Mm-hmm. You know, all eyes were on Elante Brown. He's like a uh, uh, Wandale Robinson 2.0, you know, who was Rondale Moore 2.0. So these kind of guys who are, who are smaller, um, who can who can uh, play running back? Who can play receiver? Um, line up in the slot. They can line up outside. I think Moore's just going to get a. T- or, I'm sorry, Brown is just going to get a ton of opportunities at Nebraska this year because of uh, the situation at wide receiver. Um, Nebraska's had some had some departures um, at that position, and then there's questions about Omar Manning, um, who was the Huskers' top top signee um, by some accounts overall at a junior college in Texas, six foot four, 225 pound receiver, former former TCU player. Um, his status is uh, is very much in question for this opening game at Ohio State, and you know we'll see if he, if he uh, if he gets in top form at any point this year. He's been uh, he's missed some time uh, during the preseason, and uh, if he's going to be out, I think Elante Brown is a 
guy who can step in and, and, and do a lot of good things for the Huskers. Uh, my breakout player is, um, is somebody who you're going to cover, Spencer Petrus. Um, for reasons that we discussed earlier, um, I, uh, I like your 315 as the over-under, and I'll take the over on that this week for, uh, for Petrus and passing yards in West Lafayette if the weather's good. Um, I think he's going to have a good year, um, which you, you, uh, you explained the, the reasons well. So um, I won't go into any more detail, but uh, give, us, give us your breakout player, Scott. I'm sticking with the same team, and I'm going with Amir Smith-Marset. Um, and the reason why is because he's he's just really under the radar, and I can't really figure out why. I mean, right now he's the number one. Uh, he's number one in kick return average in Big Ten history at 29.9. It's a full yard ahead of anybody else, and uh, three and a half yards ahead of number three, who's Desmond Howard. Uh, he scored in the against USC in the Holiday Bowl. He scored touchdowns in the second quarter by a by a reverse, uh, a reception, and a kick return. Uh, he has electric speed. I mean, I'm guessing he's maybe four three or even sub four three, and he's no longer just this wiry fast guy. He's becoming more and more of a full complement at a wide receiver, and is very dangerous. So uh, even though he has experience, and some people are aware of him. I think he's going to be a breakout performer this year, and and uh, you know the the matchup, the wide receiver matchup in the uh, Iowa Purdue game uh, could uh, lend him some more eyes uh, more than normal. Yeah, I felt like Amir Smith Marset broke out last year, but uh, from from watching the uh, the Black Friday game, uh, I I, uh, I felt like he's already broken out. But uh, but good choice there. Um, we've already mentioned our surprise teams. Mine's Northwestern. Yours is Purdue, as was in print today. So um, keep track of those superlatives. Write those things down, um, and uh, we'll check back uh, at the end of December and see where uh, where we're at. Yeah, exactly. So so I guess. Uh, you know, looking back now, I mean, there's one pl- person that I kind of think we should mention, and that's a guy named Sid Hartman who died on Sunday at age 100. Our uh, the Athletics Minnesota page has a couple of tributes to Sid Hartman. I can I can guarantee that there is never going to be anybody like him again. Uh, the the uh, press box is named for him at, at Gopher Stadium as well as at uh, the Vikings Stadium. He's a guy who's covered the Gophers since in the middle of World War II. He was at every single event that I can remember that was up and, you know, Gopher-related. And at one point in 2014, I sat with Sid, and I sat with a guy named Bob Brooks, who had also started covering Iowa at that same time frame, and he died a few years ago. And I sat with Brooksy and Sid, and I listened to them tell stories about, uh, you know, M- Wor- Murray Warmoth and and Forrest Evashevsky and the games they had in the '50s. And I just said to myself, "I'm sitting back, I'm listening, I'm taking this in, I'm listening to the Washington Jefferson talk about this rivalry." And uh, Sid was the most unique reporter I've ever seen in my life. Could still remember people's names. Uh, there'll be a ne- never be another one like him, and uh, he de- definitely deserves all the accolades and attention he's received over the last For uh, sure. handful of days. For sure, he'll be missed at the Star Tribune and and in the Twin Cities and and uh, around around the league and around the country uh, as well. I've seen tributes uh, pour in from from every part of the country about about Sid Hartman. So um, you know, good to see somebody um, who's remembered uh, in our profession for for the right reasons. Um, and I remember Bob too, very much, okay. uh, from, from covering some Iowa games. And, uh, I know Kirk Ferentz had a soft spot for him and always wanted to, uh, you know, take a question from Bob yeah. in every post game press conference. So, 
All right. Well, hey, that's a wrap for, on this maiden voyage for for us together on Wednesdays of the Big Football Show. Please, please subscribe to the show on Apple and Spotify. Listen Thursday as our Michigan crew, Austin Meek and Colton Pouncey, take over. Friday, it's Ari Wasserman and Jesse Temple who will contribute to your ugly gambling habit by picking games against the spread. Football on the weekend. Scott is back with Nicole Auerbach on Monday to review week one. And as mentioned, Bill Landis and Audrey Snyder stroll around the Big Ten East on Tuesday. Please subscribe to The Athletic for coverage from all of us and much more. Thanks for listening today.